They want me to tell you, starting this Thursday, the weekly Thursday night women's discipleship that has been meeting in here in the auditorium will now be meeting in the fellowship hall. So now you know. Revelation chapter 1. And Lord, we pause to ask that you would bless the teaching of your word. Lord, what a privilege it is for me to be your mouthpiece. I don't take that lightly or for granted. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, anoint me, that my words would be your words. Lord, I pray that you'd grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know you and that we might hear your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. John is the brother of James. Their dad's name was Zebedee. They had a family fishing business. They one day left father and the family fishing business to full-time follow Jesus Christ. Jesus dubbed them early on as the sons of thunder, which tells us that at that point in their lives, they had a bit of a temper. Jesus is going through Samaria on one occasion with his disciples. The Samaritans didn't treat Jesus too well. So James and John say to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these guys? And it says Jesus rebuked them. In time, they became more like Jesus. As a matter of fact, John uh, became a special disciple to Jesus. He loved all of his disciples, and yet John became known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. On the cross, Jesus looked down at John. He's standing by the blessed mother, Mary. And Jesus says, behold your son. Behold your mother. Historians tell us that John cared for Mary for the rest of her earthly life. Historians tell us that in time, John moved to Ephesus, taking Mary with him. Paul, along with uh, Priscilla, Aquila, and also Apollos, who ministered in Ephesus, Paul pretty much planted the church in Ephesus, though. He stayed there longer than anybody else. In AD 67, Paul was beheaded in Rome under the emperor Nero. After Paul's death, he left Timothy to oversee the church in Ephesus. And uh, one of the verses we know that's true is 1 Timothy 1.3, but historians tell us that as well. Historians also tell us, and you're going to get a lot of history right now, but please hang with me because it does have a point. Uh, God showed me through my wife this huge book this past week. It's been on our coffee table. I never paid attention to what it was. It's one of a three-volume set. It's big, big. It's got more information than you ever want to know uh, about the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation. I'm just in volume one. And I got all this history. Historians tell us that uh, Timothy was murdered by a mob on the streets of Ephesus when he was 80 years old. John outlived all of the other apostles. He outlived the apostle Paul. He outlived young Timothy. He became the statesman 
for the churches in the area. He became the elderly apostle left. And so his writing, his voice, carries tremendous weight. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Then a second time, verse 4, he says, John, John. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, literally the sevenfold spirit. And I'm not going to get off on that, but if you like taking notes or you want to know, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 gives us the sevenfold characteristics of the spirit of God. And then verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. The firstborn from among the dead. Uh, He's not the first one ever to rise from the dead. The word is prototokos in the Greek. I don't know if I say that right, but that's the word. It means the preeminent one, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom. And priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. Amen. Just a quick reminder. Jesus stood before Pilate and he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. The kingdom that you and I have been made a part of through faith in Christ is not the kingdom of this world. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Um, They'll mourn because they don't want him to come. They're not ready for him coming. Verse 8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The Alpha and the Omega, the first letter in the alphabet, the last letter in the alphabet, and everything in between. He didn't have a beginning. He is the beginning, and he's the end. He's the eternal one. That's the idea. And verse 9, especially meaningful in this study for me, and I hope for you. I, John, your companion, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In the big book that my wife let me borrow, and I've been reading so much of in the last few days, the writer points out the word translated suffering here is a Greek word, thlipsis. It's used to describe events that make one feel trapped, pinned to the wall. Unable to move or negotiate a way out of your circumstance, even though you like a way out. The second word is interesting, and it's translated was on, was on the island of Patmos. And it's a Greek word, um, gnomai, and it conveys a sense of shock or surprise. 
Something that happens unexpectedly catches one off guard. It's like John was saying, in a way I could have never expected, predicted, or anticipated, I came to find myself on the island of Patmos. Patmos is 24 miles off the coast of modern-day Turkey, ancient Asia Minor. It's about 60 miles from the ancient city of Ephesus. It's 10 miles long, 6 miles wide. In the day John wrote this book... Patmos was the place that the Roman government sent the most political, offensive prisoners. Murderers, thieves, rapists, insurrectionists. Patmos was the Alcatraz of the ancient world. That's where John found himself. Early church leaders like Arrhenius, Eusebius, Eusebius, and Jerome wrote that John was banished in the 14th year of the emperor Domitian. That's interesting because that would mean John arrived on Patmos, listen to this, in his 90s. In his 90s. One day, John was at his home in Ephesus. Out of nowhere, Roman guards showed up. They arrested him. They bound him. They shackled him. They put him on a ship. They sent him to Rome. And he stood before the emperor Domitian. Domitian, interesting uh, fellow, he declared himself perpetual censor of the empire. That gave him the legal right to set the moral code. It gave him the right to censor or eliminate any part of society that he deemed offensive or unnecessary or that stood opposed to his ideals. Not long after declaring himself perpetual censor, he also declared himself Lord and God. Other emperors of the Roman Empire generally were deified after death, but Domitian wanted his while he lived. John stands before him, and Domitian demanded that John offer incense in worship. You see, Domitian had set up a priesthood to help people worship him. He had set up temples in his honor. And so as he demands John to worship him at the penalty of death, John refuses. And Domitian orders that John be placed in a boiling vat of oil. Historians tell us that John miraculously survived. Just like God did for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God did a miracle, and um, he got out of the vat of boiling oil unscathed, unharmed. Domitian was so terrified that he ordered that John be banished forever to the island of Patmos, with that background. <laughs> I appreciate verse 10 like never before. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now we'll get to the letters of the seven churches, but not today. There were more than seven churches, let me just say that. There were a lot of churches in the area, uh, Colossae, Derby, Hierapolis, Iconium, Lystra, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of churches. Why these seven churches? Because they were the oldest, they were the largest, they were the most influential. They were the examples for the other churches. 
on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And that's when he hears the voice like a trumpet on the Lord's day. I think this is my fifth time, maybe the fourth time. But anyway, I've taught through Revelation several times. It's fresh every time. I love this book. I love the Bible, but I love this book, especially love prophecy. And I've taught for uh, each time through that the Lord's day uh, was Sunday, the day of resurrection. But if you believe the guy that wrote the big book that my wife has at home, he says the most common use of the Greek uh, term uh, translated the emperor's day or the Lord's day is the emperor's day. Uh, it was the first day of the month when in the Roman Empire, whoever was ruling, you celebrated him like, uh, you know, not like normal, like extra celebration, extra worship if you were worshiping him. So on the day that the whole world of, uh, of that time was worshiping Domitian, <laughs> Here the king of kings and lord of lords appears on Patmos to his servant John. You notice three times in the first nine verses he mentions his name John. It's like he's saying to the readers and the ones who are hearing this, it's like he's saying, it's really me. (laughs) I'm still alive. He's in his 90s. Verse 12, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Verse 20 will tell us that those lampstands are the seven churches. And of course, they represent the church at large. Tells us that to God, his people are valuable. They are precious. They are pure. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. John knew that as a messianic title from Daniel 7.13. Daniel 7.13 where you see the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he's given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, men of every language will worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I found that especially encouraging Because on page 23 of the big book I've been reading, it lists the Roman emperors beginning with Caesar Augustus, who was ruling when Jesus Christ was born in the Bethlehem manger, through Constantine, some 300 AD, so a little over 300 years of human history, and I counted how many Roman emperors there were during those 300 plus years, 57, 57. He's up, he's down. He's up, he's down. Jesus Christ will rule forever and ever and ever and ever. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. It's a priestly robe. Hebrews 4 says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He knows. He was tempted in every way, yet was without sin, but he knows. He knows our weakness. He knows our trial. He knows John's trial. He knows yours. He knows mine. And with a golden sash around his chest, uh, kings in the ancient world would wear these sashes, and they wear them high up because it allowed their kingly robe to flow more majestically and royally. 
Some of them had some pretty nice belts or sashes that they wore. But if you have a king that wears a pure gold sash, that is a king with immense wealth, power, and authority. Verse 14, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Not wool, like wool. John's trying to describe something that has no earthly counterpart. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, he sees the ancient of days. That's the father. And it's interesting. It says he saw him and his clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool, like his son, Jesus. Purity, holiness, no spot, no wrinkle, no blemish. And his eyes were like blazing fire. Penetrating scrutiny. He sees all, he knows all. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom, to whom we must give an account. Now, I usually use that verse and think about it in regard to God seeing me when I sin, when I fail. But it's not just God seeing me in those times. God sees me in the tough times. God sees John. And in a situation that he did not desire, that he did not expect, that he'd like to get out of. On the island of Patmos, God sees. He knows. Verse 15, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. He's the divine judge. 2 Thessalonians 1 says that when Jesus comes, I'll read you one verse. He'll pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to you who are troubled. He'll deal with the Domitians of life. And will never suffer again. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I told you before, I always think of Niagara Falls. The one trip I did years ago to Niagara Falls, and I'll never forget the sound as you stand beside that waterfall and all those tons of water just going over the falls. It's just deafening. I went online and I Googled sounds of Niagara Falls and I got one, played it and turned it up real loud. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Verse 20 tells us that seven stars are the messengers, or I believe the pastors of the seven churches. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. A lot of Roman swords. This is a Romphaea sword. It was the big sword, is the most feared sword, and, uh, double-edged, and it's the sharpest, uh, so sharp that they say it could cut through most armor of the day. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. I mean, so glorious, you can't even imagine. Don't miss verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's incredible because John uh, was around Jesus for three years or so. Uh, he touched Jesus. He, he, he was with Jesus. And he had the privilege, along with two other apostles, only three of them, that went up what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And they get up there, and Jesus is transfigured before them. It says his clothes became white. But it doesn't say any of them fell down as though dead. So it tells me when I read this, that even the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus being transfigured before them was still a bit veiled in terms of his full glory. 
because John falls at his feet as though dead. Now, it's not, it's not Christ's intention to scare the daylights out of John. Look what happens next. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. That matches up with the alpha and the omega. It means the same thing. I'm the first and the last. Not that he had a first and a last. He is the first. He is the last and everything in between. He's the eternal one. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore and I hold the keys of death and hell. Has it ever fascinated you like it has me, and especially this fresh study uh, through Revelation, that God, God can say, I know what it is to die? You ever thought about that? He knows what it is to die as a human being. He not only knows what it is to die, he knows what it is to die at the hands of an evil ruler or rulers. He knows what it is to die... And he didn't deserve to die. He knows what it is to suffer. And he didn't deserve to suffer. I totally intended to take us through those few verses and then get into chapter 2. And the first message, the message to the church of Ephesus. That was my intention. I have three pages of fresh type notes that are now in a different file, copy and paste. And I ended up with nine pages of notes on just what we've covered so far. You'll be skipping lunch. No. I was pretty surprised how the Lord led me. And I forgot to tell the bookstore. By the way, bookstore, I gave it a new title. I sent him a title on Friday, but it's a different title now. Here's the title God gave me, My Fingerprint in the Will of God. Isn't that an interesting title? My Fingerprint and the Will of God. I, I was drawn back to verse 9. And, and those two words that I mentioned earlier, thlipsis. Translated suffering, a trap, pinned to the wall, unable to move or negotiate a way out of your circumstance. The second word, gnomai, uh, conveying the sense of shock or surprise, something that happens unexpectedly, catches you off guard, like John saying, in a way I could never have predicted, expected, anticipated, I came to find myself on the island of Patmos. And you put those two words together as John uses those words to describe his situation and how he got there. And you see his humanness. He's just like us. If he, didn't go, if he could have negotiated his way out of Patmos without violating the will of God for his life, he would have done so. He would have done so. He didn't want to be there. He didn't enjoy it. But it was the will of God. John chapter 21. Go there with me for just a minute. John's Gospel, chapter 21. It's after the resurrection. 
Jesus appears to his disciples in Jerusalem. Then he says, go into Galilee and there I'll appear. Uh, while they're waiting for him to show up in Galilee, Peter says to the other guys, I'm going fishing. They say, we'll go with you. And they go fishing. They fish all night. They catch nothing. Uh, next morning, they see a figure on the beach and, and the guy asks, have you caught anything? No. Well, cast your nets on the other side. They do so. And just like happened three years before when they first met this figure, they caught more fish than they ever caught in their life. John leans over to Peter and says, it's the Lord. Peter puts on his clothes, gets in the water, Peter style, goes to the shore. Jesus has breakfast with his disciples. And then he says to Peter, verse 18, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me, exclamation point. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Indulge me just for a minute. Hold up your finger, not the middle one, the index. <laughs> Hold up your finger just for a minute. Some of you are rebels. You're like, I'm not going to hold up my finger. <laughs> okay, good. That's fine. Okay, you can put your fingers down. Every finger, everyone. There never has been and never will be another finger like that. Nobody else has your fingerprint. Nobody else ever will. Nobody else has my fingerprint. Nobody else ever will. That blows my mind. There is a general will of God for all believers. Now, I'm not going to spend time on this, but let me just uh, share a couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's for all of us. Every fingerprint. That's for all of us. This is the general will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. It's God's will that all of his children avoid sexual sin. 1 Peter, for it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Let your work speak louder than your words. Uh, Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission, sharing the gospel. So there's a general will of God that applied to all of us. But listen, there is a personal will of God that has my fingerprint alone. Nobody else will stand before Jesus for me, only me. Nobody else will stand before Jesus for you, only you. 
I don't know if you um, have gone very far in this thing called Christianity. But these men and women in the Bible, they're just like us. They're just like us. With one difference. They have their own personal fingerprint. Their own personal calling. Jesus said to Peter, this is, this is the path for your fingerprint. But there's a different path for John's fingerprint. And you don't pay attention so much to John's fingerprint. You pay attention to following me. My will for you. Folks, that's challenging. That's challenging. Look, look, all these people are, are human just like us, though. You read, and these Greek words tell us that John is just like us in the sense that he didn't desire to be on Patmos. He would have gotten out of it but if it wouldn't have violated the will of God for his life. Elijah, he's a man who prayed. It didn't rain for three and a half years. He prays again, it rains. But it says he's a man just like us. With that, with that, here's what, if you've been down the path very long, you may understand. Um, the will of God sometimes can be challenging to accept. Uh, with that said, it may be perplexing. Listen to what Paul wrote. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Perplexed. The apostle Paul. Couldn't figure out what God was doing sometimes. Couldn't figure out what, what God wasn't doing and why he wasn't doing anything, seemingly. Here's one uh, that's so practical, and listen up. Sometimes the will of God can create doubts about God. One of the greatest figures in all the Bible, Jesus said, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, sitting in jail, arrested by Herod, John had the privilege of introducing the Lamb of God to the world. He saw the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove lighting on him. He baptized him there in the Jordan River, signifying his death, burial, resurrection. And yet he ends up in jail. And uh, listen, every time I think about it, 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 you think about it, there's no record Jesus ever visited him. There's no record Jesus ever sent one of his apostles or even another disciple to, to John and, and visit him in jail. They didn't even send a card thinking about you. And so John gets a message to two of his disciples to go to Jesus and ask Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for someone else? In the situation he found himself in, he found himself doubting whether he had followed the right guy. One of the greatest worship leaders, his name is Asaph. Listen to what he wrote in Psalm 73. Verse 1, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been plagued. 
John the Apostle, if he wanted to, could have written something like that when I sat on Patmos and Domitian's up in his palace. Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets. A couple of places he does this, but I just put Jeremiah 12, 1. He says to the Lord, Lord, I know you're righteous. Uh, loose translation after that, he says, but I got a bone to pick with you. about your justice. And he has the same issues with God that Asaph did. Don't think you're being too fair, Lord. Well, another thing can be, for some people, the will of God, very painful. One of the greatest, the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he wrote. The thorn in the flesh that God allowed in his life a messenger of Satan to torment me. I never knew that this Greek word torment is the exact same word, exact same word that's used to describe the Roman soldiers before they put Jesus on the cross, repeatedly punching him with their fists. Same word. Same word. Now, It's getting a little solemn in here, a little gloomy. So look, sometimes the will of God involves miraculous healing and deliverance. Lady just came up to me between services and told me how God had healed her miraculously. I'm like, praise the Lord. It's wonderful. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You ever go in a lion's den, you want to be like Daniel. I want God to shut the mouths of the lions. You ever go into a fiery furnace, you want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ever go in prison, you want to be like Peter in Acts 12, where he's miraculously delivered. Well, we got to move beyond this one because sometimes it involves miraculous healing and deliverance and then later suffering and a death. death. (laughs) Peter's delivered in Acts chapter 12, and then they're on the beach. We just read it, John 21, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, there's a coming a day when you're older, there will be no miraculous deliverance. You will go where you do not want to go. Be dressed the way you do not want to be dressed. A couple more, I'm almost done. The will of God usually is not revealed in advance. Very unusual for Jesus to say to Peter, Peter, this is what you got coming. He didn't tell John that. Again, John, with these two Greek words he uses in verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, I didn't see it coming. I couldn't have anticipated. I was shocked. And I would love to have negotiated my way out of it. But it was the will of God for my life. So with that said, Faith and patience are required. Here's what John said. I put it up for us. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance. There's the challenge that arouses in Jesus. That's the challenge of the Christian life. The longer God allows us to live on this planet. You imagine, John? I mean, I don't think he wanted to outlive everybody else. Paul's been up there for years. In glory. And John in his 90s gets arrested, sent to the island of Patmos. Patient endurance.
But here's the truth. No matter what circumstances as a Christian I find myself in. Here's the truth. Say it with me. Say it with me. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is our helper. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I want you to say the last part with me. Ready? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Say thanks for that. Now, I know who I'm talking to, including myself. I know the culture we live in. Thank God. I'm very thankful, as I know you are, we don't have a Domitian on the throne. I'm thankful that I'm not called before someone to say, you bow or you burn. And I don't want to be in that situation. Who does? You want to be in that situation? Stay away from me. (laughs) You got to screw loose. More than one. With that said... We all have challenges. We're all in different situations in life. I'm so happy for my second son, like Ian, Corey, preparing to go into marriage. A uh, couple of days now with the last week, Jairus comes downstairs and he, 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 he shouts the number of days he has left <laughs> as a free man. No, he didn't say that. I said that. I said that. He, he's so happy. He's so looking forward. We love her as... A future bride. We love their family. Looking forward to the wedding. Getting married next March. That's the plan. And I don't know if I was supposed to keep that on the DL. Uh, but I didn't know what the DL was before. And it doesn't matter now. But um, it's out now. But they're excited. It's a period in life where they're just full of uh, happiness and peace and excitement and all. But, you know, there's some of us sitting here right now. That's not the case. Some of us, we're kind of like Jesus in the garden saying, Lord, if there's any way possible, would you take this cup from me? I'd like to be healed of this sickness. I'd like to be healed of this cancer. I'd like to be out of this circumstance. Lord, I don't enjoy it. I don't, and, and I never saw it coming, perhaps. But remember, that's not the only thing Jesus prayed. That's the first part. What did he, what did he end with? Yet not my will. Yours be done. 
One final thing. There's a requirement for finding and staying in the will of God. Romans chapter 12. In view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to discover what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But it doesn't happen. You'll never find the will of God as a lukewarm Christian. You'll never stay in the will of God as a lukewarm Christian. You've got to be willing to say, Lord, I want your will. You lead me. You guide me. You open the doors. You close the doors. You find the will of God that way. You stay in the will of God that way. It's a daily surrender. It's a daily surrender. And I thought that's the only appropriate way to close. Our new worship leader, Dave, is going to come. He's going to lead us in a great song that just never gets old. It's so, this is such an anointed song for me. Every time it's sung and every time I sing it, I get, I'm moved. I'm spiritually moved. And I'm going to go on record and say, I didn't share this to the other services. After studying for this message and the way God led me, it was a challenge for me to say, Lord, wherever you lead me, And I'm thinking, Lord, I like my paycheck. I don't want to be like Bob right now. I don't want to step out by faith unless you tell me to. And if you tell me to, then I want to. Or I'm willing to. I'm willing to. I mean, you know, you come to a place years and you love your family and you love your kids and things are going well and you go, I don't want it to be any different. But I had to say by faith, by faith, and it was tough. I'm telling you, it was tough to say, Lord, I want your will, not only for me, but for my family. I want your will. That was a challenge. I want to give us an opportunity to say that in song to the Lord. And let's make it a commitment that we sing to him as we close our time together. Would you do that? Dave's going to lead us. All to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give I will ever love and trust Him His
My prayer, Lord, as we leave is that we would be able to continue to say that, to sing that. And Lord, again, we're in so many different situations in life. Lord, help us to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. Help us, Lord, every day to be filled fresh with your spirit, to be reminded of your truth, and that, Lord, we live in that patient endurance until we see you face to face. Whatever your will is for us, Lord, help us to complete our mission that you've called us to. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we look forward to that day. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you, face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer for any reason, as we dismiss the service prayer team, they're making their way forward and they'll be here to pray with you and to pray for you. Make sure you put Bob and Kim, their family, on your prayer list if they're not on there already and pray for God to continue to lead and guide them in this new chapter of their lives. God bless you. Have a great day.